0: NBA Podcast, joined once again this pre-Christmas edition by Darren Hill. Darren, I've been putting up my Christmas tree this evening, but uh, have you got yours up yet for the family? Ours went up Friday
1: night, yes, it's been a few days already, yeah, but I I had the pleasure of, I was tidying and organizing the 800 kilograms of toys that we have whilst um, the others put the tree up, so I avoided the the back-breaking finger scratching fingernail bleeding you know fake christmas tree with all the all the little you know the wire hooks and stuff that go up so
0: so you gotta get the you get the fake christmas tree yeah we're
1: (laughs) eco people dads that's right so you know we're you know we, we get the fake one every year and and trudge it out so uh yeah it's looking good it's looking good though
0: yeah we just had the real one up so there'll be a lot of sweeping up of pine <laughs> we'll Sweeping up, which is all always great to see. So, Des, we'll, we'll start off with a little bit of the news, and obviously, the big news that everyone's talking about is uh, Sean Kilpatrick's got a new home at, in Milwaukee. So, there's a bit of shooting for you. That could be the missing piece. It could be, you know, when when Brooklyn's sixteenth man comes knocking on the door. <laughs> hey, you can't you know, say no to
1: that. You can't. Say you that. can't say no when when Rashad, I should say R. Dot Vaughn. G. Dot Payton, and uh, I don't even know who else fills the role. Yeah, we've had we're on their fourth and fifth string um, backcourt with Deli, Telly, Jet, and Snell all out. Um, so yeah, Kilpatrick's nice player actually. So not <laughs> tongue in cheek, I know that's big news, but we'll take it. We'll take some any energy we can
0: get. Who did they cut? Who did they have to cut for that? Oh, did that say someone... Payton.
1: Oh, okay. so Gary Payton was on a two-way contract, and his they have the forty-five day window, and it's actually hard to track when does that window begin and close because he's gone down and played a few games in the G League. So, against super nerds like me, trying to work out when does his forty-five day window start, when does it end, you know, what's going to happen? Are they going to put him on NBA deals? So the way these two ways work, you either have to put him on an NBA contract or release him, and so. The, there was some hand-wringing going on in Buck's land about them. God, would they actually put him on a full full NBA contract? Mercifully, they didn't. All that, pardon me, although that wasn't very uh, popular in the locker room. Look, so there's some circles thinking he was, you know, just the son of a mate of you know, of Gary Payton, a friend of Jason Kidd's. Is there nepotism going on? But it sounds like he worked his ass off. And any guys, I guess, fighting for their place in the league, he's worked his ass off, to be fair and in limbo and still playing summer league and the G league and up and down with the team. And so um, you do feel for a guy like that who works his balls off. And, um, but uh, anyway, hopefully he lands somewhere. He's he'll have a role to play. You know, it's kind of that 13th to 15th guy. If we need that hard nosed sort of defensive kid at the end of the bench. So hopefully he gets a run somewhere, but yeah, we're, we're welcoming Kilpatrick in. Yeah.
0: Well, more pertinent news, probably is Isaiah Thomas has is announced so that he's targeting January as a comeback date, uh, the Cavs are on a 9-1 run, so they're not necessarily missing it at the moment. But you wonder how scary that offense can be and uh, I guess how scary their defense may get once Isaiah Thomas is back. I mean, but what, what did you make of that news? I mean, how, how do you envisage Isaiah Thomas fitting back into the, the Cavs lineup?
1: I'm probably a little bit where Tehran Liu is, where it's nothing really matters until we actually know he's in warm-ups. Um, so we say early January but it sounds pretty optimistic he's not practicing five on five yet but it sounds like it's getting close so that's that's good news for everybody um, and I think I've sort of sur- put a circle around January 3rd right where the game is at Boston yep. so would that be any small coincidence that that'd be his first game I'm not sure it might be too much pressure and um, when I think about it, that's his first debut yeah I would
0: if
1: anyone think so. anyone who if anyone watches the the NFL which i don't but i i read the storylines of Aaron Rodgers coming back and any sort of hopes of a fairy tale ending ended with three interceptions in carolina today so even the even the superheroes need some need some practice reps so that's what i think about Isaiah Thomas he needs practice reps he needs reps he needs reps he needs reps to fill his brand new teammates out and fit into the rotations and all kinds of stuff. So that's my first reaction, just how does he get reps? And are those reps going to come, you know, with a quick ascent? Or is, you know, meaning he'll play 25 minutes for two nights and bang, he's up to 32, 33, 34 minutes. Will he be playing crunch time right away, question mark? No, well, and, I, or are
0: going to do a Kawhi sort of? Yeah, is that's what I was going to say. I think you'll oh, see a Kawhi Leonard for, yeah. you know, kid gloves. I mean, Kawhi's played six, nine minutes a game, 20 minutes a game. He only played in the first half against Houston on the weekend, and we might get in touch on that game a bit later. But I I think that's more that what they'll be doing with Isaiah Thomas because there's no point throwing him out there and, and, and getting him to you know, play balls to the wall straight away. Look, my hot take is
1: Isaiah Thomas is better than Jose Calderon. Um, now, that being said, Calderon's taking
0: care of the ball. So has just stayed out of the way. Calderon's and doing what he needs to do. I was mean, yeah, going it was yeah. actually smart coaching in the end by Ty Lue that put him in there. It um, was worked out. I can't believe it. He's the he's East Eastern Conference's
1: Jameer Nelson, right? Where he's just a smart, um, smart point guard. So, um, boy, all well, of us probably.
0: To be fair, I don't think he's their point guard, dude. LeBron's well, obviously the point guard still, but he, he's he's at least fulfilling a role. He's he's taking over 17 shots 18 and, minutes. All right, he's you know he's he's not playing he's playing, you know,
1: some meaningful minutes I'd, I'd, I'd consider. So, so yeah, so I think look, Isaiah is um, obviously not a completely different type of player, but I, I'm not going to place any conjecture till I see him run. So I see him play. Um, I want to squint my eyes and see, you know, even 80% of last year's Isaiah, you know, if he can be a 20 point a game and be somewhat efficient, I guess that's probably my worry for Isaiah with, You know, with the uh, chip on his shoulder um, in a contract year with all the emotions of being dumped, you know, by Boston, um, there's a risk that he just puts the weight of the world on his shoulders and, you know, starts shooting like, uh, you know, the son of Lonzo Ball. And um, that's, I guess, the risk for it is he just comes out chucking and doesn't have his game legs and he's just off and he's inefficient. So... I'm hoping, like everyone probably is, is that he's closer to 85%, 90% when he's back so he can play his style because there's so little room for error, I guess, when you're that size, right? So mm. we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But I it's think it'll good... be
0: a matter of picking his, picking his moments and uh, yeah, particularly early on and sort of not, not overplaying his hand um, and then uh, I guess doing a bit of what Kyrie did and when, when LeBron needs some buckets and, and, and he's not... Um, able to get them or, you know, uh, when he sits on the bench even, that's when Isaiah Thomas can come in and that's probably a bit further down the track um, than what we're going to see when he first starts this season. Uh, the Cavs, just touching on the Cavs, I mean, they're rolling along, as I said, nine and one in their last ten games. Another good win today against the supposed Eastern Conference uh, contender. I, I'm, I'm sort of a bit out in the whiz at the moment, but did you catch any of that game, that the Cavs Wizards today? I did.
1: Yep, I um, was out in the garden, so I listened to some of it on, the, on on audio, which was always an interesting way to take in a game. Then I watched um, bits and pieces, and then I watched, uh, you know, the condensed game. And what I saw was just one of those days. Just one of those days where you want to bottle it up and try and be a fan of the NBA. And I just saw, you know, this supernatural human being just elegantly coasting, you know, through the game. I don't remember what LeBron's final stat line was. Oh, I thought something- you were talking about Jan Mahimni. I was talking about Dirk Nowitzki, <laughs> <laughs> the baby giraffe with three broken knees. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I may be uh, going a little bit too romantic here, but my God, just to some of the passes LeBron was making, these rocket passes to the corner and just the touch passes. And I think he went for like 20, 15, and 12, and it, it felt like 40, 30, and 24 is what it felt like. Pretty close game, right? You know, Bradley Beal napped on some shots. John Wall doesn't look the same. John Wall looks like Kyle Lowry from the playoffs or something. He's definitely not a hundred percent, and I think people would be lying if he said he was. And I'd understand if they were lying about him being a hundred percent just to protect him. But I don't know. Do you? So LeBron was played just fucking beautiful basketball today. Um, just LeBron basketball. What we've been seeing for. 12, 13, 14 years.
0: Yeah, I I didn't see the game today, but I'm with you on the Wizards. And I think John Wall, they've got some real problems there in terms of what something's ailing him uh, and whether they bite the bullet in the end and he has to have some sort of surgery. I'm not sure what the the issue is. But he did have some time off with a knee, whether it is a knee that's bothering him or something else that we're not aware of. But the problem for them is, I guess... If he misses extended time again, can they sit at that 500 level and even make the playoffs? Because um, you don't want to necessarily be, from their point of view, in that sort of 6, 7, 8 range and having to go away uh, in the first round and, and potentially face Cleveland, Boston uh, or Toronto. I'm not sure Toronto probably do not not as fearful for them as the other two, maybe. Um, but the way they're heading at the moment, they don't look like a top four seed to me, even with John Wall. Uh, in the lineup. So there's some problems there I think for Scott Brooks to sort out. They're a little bit of the turning into turning what the
1: Clippers were or what the what the Blazers are, just right. They roll up the same cast year after year and, and you wonder or I guess which is why I've been so impressed with Toronto. I know I bang on every week, but I'm so impressed with how they've Toronto's deepened their team and extended their rotations and found some new combinations that work, especially on the second unit with funky combinations, you just don't see it from Washington. It's just not there. They're rolling out the same cast and crew. Gortat's a year older and a year slower. You know, Markeith Morris doesn't look the same. John Wall definitely has something wrong. He used to be the fastest man in the league. He is not the fastest man in the league. I see him catching and, you know, almost just delicately, quickly putting up three-pointers when he would usually catch a ball um, and just explode into the lane. He's just not. And so you can just tell he's favoring something, and again, I don't, I don't know what that is. So I, I too worry for the wizards. I, I, I don't think anyone in the East is afraid of them at the moment, and I, I don't there's no good answer because they're as we same same conversation we had 12 months ago, they're capped out. They don't really have any attractive assets. The improvement that they were going to get was going to come from the likes of the- the, the most y player was Kelly Oubre, and he's not a player. He kind of sucks. And there, there's some, some stuff to worry about. When we saw John Wall out, I think we talked about this last week. Is Bradley Beal also isn't a secondary playmaker, and he's he's not. He's a shooter. Hmm. He's not. He can't initiate. So Bradley Beal looks like a an actualized version of the Denver Nuggets problem, which is all these nice wings. These guys can shoot the, you know, the, the Bartons and Gary Harris's and the Malik Beasley's and so forth. They're just all chuckers. And so that offense in Washington just grinds, just grinds to a Charlotte Hornets level of awful when Wall is out. So uh, anyway, we delved into the ugly, but um, this was meant to be about LeBron. he played fucking beautiful basketball. Kevin Love looks good. He still looks good. He's had some, had some nice strong takes and just getting you know, more trucking his way into the lane and Bullying people and getting past them, and just they played great. They played great today, and I think they. I think Cleveland played at about eighty percent speed. So it's funny. Here we are again, right? Five six weeks ago, we had sticky notes about how awful they were, and now they're playing eighty percent speed and just beating decent teams, right, on the road. So, um whatever that is, the thing, the the chemistry, the intensity, the mental acuity, whatever it is, they just decided, hey, let's rest for the first six weeks of the season. And we'll turn it on. I'm like if that works for them, that works for them. So Cleveland's for real. They're back. They're a threat. Tristan Thompson looks all right. He got some looks like he's lost a little bit of hops, but he's, you know, strong and had a nice couple finishes I saw. Some pocket passes he took and went to the hole pretty strong. So he's he looks like he's close to back. He's not a hundred percent, but he's you know, we talked about last week what role you play and he's He's coming off the bench, as I think we both suggested he should, and he's doing. He looks okay. So he adds a dimension they have. So Washington, sad face. Cleveland, happy face.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's a fair point. I, know if, I think yeah, going back, that the improvement has come just from a bit more continuity, I guess, uh, across the team. And I, I don't think you can underestimate, uh, not the pile on you know, Derek Rose, but just how how bad a fit he was within that team. And certainly their bad start wasn't all down to him being on the roster, but uh, him his leaving has sort of turned it, they have turned it around at the same time. So maybe there's a little bit of coincidence there as well. Um, just on LeBron too, I mean, I was just saying, he, he's pretty much the only superstar you can think of. He just, he never has a quiet game. Like, and even some of these guys, and I've seen Giannis this year, and you sort of look at the box score and think, gee, yeah, he had yeah thirty points, but it just didn't feel like he was. It, it was a quiet thirty points, if you know what I mean. And only great players can do have them sort of games. But LeBron, it doesn't matter what he's doing because everything flows through him, and he's such a force of nature. He, I, I think, he's incapable of having a quiet game.
1: Well, he doesn't. He again, I did, not two comparisons in the first ten minutes, but you know, he's Aaron Rodgers like, where you just you don't have to think when you're in the system for so long. Everything is instinctive. It's like as instinctive as you and I type in an accordy keyboard, right? Giannis isn't there yet. Giannis has to think his way through, right? So Giannis is a physical, an absolute physical beast who's made such strides, but he's still thinking his way through. Right? He's going, he catches the ball. And, oh, do I spin? Do I not? Do I I still see Giannis not fully playing intuitive basketball yet? That's where LeBron has been for years, right? Pure just just this blissful Steve Nashian, right? Just intuition everywhere. So that's what makes it so effortless. Because he looks like he's not sweating. Actually, don't. I literally remember thinking and pausing on the screen of the play he made in the fourth quarter. Because I was wondering. I, I got this feeling he's not even trying. And I looked, and I, I couldn't find beads of sweat on him. That's not a metaphor. I couldn't see it, and he was barely breathing. So uh, I don't know. He's he's supernatural. And I'm again. We're gonna have an audio record. And I'm even a freaking Cavs fan. But if anyone likes basketball, my God, we're if we're not talking about him over Jordan now or soon, or if that maybe that conversation's already over. But I'm starting to get that feeling where, like, my God, we're you're watching self-actualized basketball at its absolute pinnacle. At a guy at age fucking 33. So yeah. I had a little romantic moment here, Daz, with watching a player. You know, I grew up despising. So um,
0: Yeah, I think maybe when, he, when he yeah. first went back to Cleveland, there were some signs that he was slowing down a bit um, just at the start of that season. And I remember he took yeah, off right. to Miami for a little bit. And uh, he just didn't quite look the same player. And he thought, maybe he's now on the downward trend. I'll tell you, this season he's playing as well as he, I've ever seen him play. Uh, even going back to the Miami days. Uh oh, and, and yeah. that's the difference and that's where I think the arguments you're you're starting to lose the argument if you're on Jordan's side. Um, you know, obviously the crux for for people on the Jordan side is the six titles. But gee, Jordan was never this dominant for this long and, and you know, just year after year. Not even year, close. You know. Um yeah. he had the six years where he was dominant, but uh LeBron now, what are we really since what would it be? 09 now, and we're now in 2017. Uh, and, he, and he was a pretty fair player before that. I mean, he made the finals in 07.
1: I'll never take away anything from Jordan's fire, right? And this, I'd almost, can he be more competitive than Jordan? I don't think that's possible. And I don't want to take, I won't take anything away, but I there was no dynasty, right? So, you know, LeBron's had to run up against the, you know, the, the Golden State Warriors mini dynasty you know, emergence, right? So I think there's a, Jordan just didn't have that. It was, you know, the Blazers one year, then the Suns another year, then, you know, the Jazz, I guess, were kind of maybe the, uh, I guess they had back-to-back against the Jazz at the, in the pinnacle of of Stockton and Malone. But um, anyway, and I think the incompetence of LeBron's front office, as uh, our guest, eh, Mr. Cleaver, suggested in the offseason, right? (laughs) You can remember some of the names, right? So uh, anyway, if we're if champions, you know, I'm not the I'm not the biggest fan of a team metric being used to measure the greatness of individuals. Basketball is a little different because he has such a disproportionate impact. But anyway, I had one of those moments today where he's just barely breathing. He's 33 years old, and he's just tiptoeing effortlessly around the court. And it's like it's like this, this, he's so good. He decided that he was going to shoot 40 percent from three this year, and that's what he's doing. So he's just Oh, maybe in, maybe in August he's going, well, what should I do? Well, maybe I'll practice three-pointers and get good at that this year. So, yeah, that's what he's done. You know what that has? Again, I'm, I'm, I wonder if the synergy data, if we could ever get access to it, the fact that he's shooting so many more three-pointers and making them, right? I'm like, he doesn't have to run very far then back on defense. It's actually like saving some mileage, not crashing the boards, and super efficient. And, you know, he's always played with the ball up top and you know, my god he's even that much more of a threat he's having almost curry like impact drawing the defense out um that far and it just makes just holes everywhere um for him to pass through so it's just it's just almost perfect basketball anyway enough of that <laughs> i get <laughs> i get too far you know three weeks ago it was just gaga on the celtics and now i've gaga on lebron it's uh <laughs> well i think i'm with you, we you move now I,
0: mean, I just think I think the D Conference. You just you wonder where the challenges are going to come from. And again, I, th- I think both of us last year thought maybe Toronto was going to be the best chance to challenge and yeah. We're probably in the same boat this year, and I think we're both. Probably in the same boat, also of looking at it going, I oh, don't trust this Rappers team. But um, theoretically, at least, I think they're the team that are the best placed um, to get. I'm still not a believer in the Celtics, so I still think they're the best team, best place to potentially uh, give LeBron at least a run for his money uh, in the Eastern Conference, the way maybe Indiana did uh, back in the days when he was in Miami, even though he always felt Miami were going to get on top. Uh, at the end of the yeah. day. Uh, yeah. let, let's move on more. We are, of course, covering the good, the bad and the ugly from the last week. And the, One of the good was uh, probably the game of the season so far. There's not only the first game to go double overtime yet, it's the first game to go triple overtime. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers and OKC. Look, some of the execution, a bit clunky, um, particularly in regulation. I mean, you, you, you expect the um, executions going to be a little bit problematic once you're going into triple a overtime and guys aren't really resting, uh, which I thought, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see your thoughts on that, the fact that the neither coach went to their bench at all during that, that period. I felt like if either coach had a... And actually, funnily enough, OKC were forced to go to their bench when Stephen Adams fell out and Patrick Patterson came on who hadn't been playing well, but maybe that sort of fresh legs just gave him a little bit of a buffer. Um in that last five minutes. But the interesting thing was OKC okay, so looked like they had the game wrapped up uh, with uh, about five minutes to go. They did not score for over seven minutes of basketball days, the end of regulation and into overtime. And it looked like Philly had won the game. And then OKC, to their credit, got back into actually running some offensive sets. It wasn't just come down and Russell Westbrook chuck up a shot or give it to Mello and Mello would chuck up a shot. That was their offense for the seven minutes when they went scoreless. Once they actually started moving the ball around, they found, oh, we've got open men. And uh, Paul George hit a big three and then Westbrook got fouled. I think they were down five with about a minute to go in the first overtime. Then it was tied and then it just basically went basket for basket from there and there were some great players like Westbrook with a great dunk right and Saric's face and, and B with some great players down low, him and Adams battling on the boards and things like that. So um, I thought it was a it was a really, really good game, really exciting game, really fun game. Um, but what were your takeaways? And I mean, particularly with, with the bench, I mean, were you surprised that neither coach went to the benches during a triple a overtime?
1: I, wa- I was not I wasn't. So... Because what I saw, right, it's kind of the game within the game was, again, you hear me talking about this being Philadelphia being Joel Embiid's team. It is definitely Joel Embiid's team. And just the jawing, right, Daz, the the talking he does. So he'll get the ball in the post and make a couple nice plays. And that's it's all it takes, one or two plays. And it doesn't matter. Actually, I saw the couple that I think it really ignited it when um, – Donovan was trying to be a bit clever, and he had Carmelo at the 5. I don't know if you noticed that, but Carmelo had a little run there um, with a small ball lineup at the 5, and so he was defending Embiid. Or they're just trying to d- deny at the top. And uh, yeah. yeah, And you saw Embiid go around him and had a dunk, and M- Melo followed him. And it was, a, it was an and-one. It was a pretty innocuous, just, you know, spin to the middle, caught him in the lower block on the left-hand side, did a little spin and kind of up and under, nothing nothing Hakimian, just to rotate on a much smaller player. And then B just gets up and flexes and shouts, and one, and one, and one, and one. You could see him just, and, Mar- and Mello's like, come on, man. Come on, man, shut up. So that was about, when was that, early third quarter? You know, the game was starting to hit, so the third was an electric quarter. That was a fun quarter. Um, so I, that for me, Daz, was when you asked the question, am I surprised I didn't go to the bench? What was happening, the game started to become really personal, right? That was a that's not like fuck you coach. you fucking take me out. I'm gonna stab your wife in the eye. <laughs> like that's what I felt. Like the game was it, everyone got really, really invested in it and the crowd, right? So say what you will about the about Philly, but the the crowd was every possession. So it was a fun game to listen to, right when this you know tip your hat to this this basketball fan base, you've you know most of them embraced the process and so their expectations are probably through the roof, but man, did they, every possession was big. So I just, the energy in the arena was like, this was like, you know, when you're having that run on a court and you're, you you can not miss and you're, you know, the, there's, you know, the, the old courts used to play. When your team wins, you'd stay on the court. Right. Yeah. And you just hold You're holding court for, you know, hour after hour. That's what this game felt like. It's like it just got really, really personal. That being said, there was some ugly, right. There was Russ chucking, there was between Covington and Paul George. Did they make a shot after the after halftime? Like Covington's had a spectacular year, but when you shoot 15 three pointers in a single game and only hit three, you know that something uh something bizarre is happening. But anyway, well, that's he what kept i saw shooting
0: Covington, I mean, I'll give him that because he did hit another big three. And I think it was, he was three of 17 when he hit it. He was two of 16 and then took the big three. And they said it was interesting because Brett Brown. Rode up the play for yeah. Covington, um, which sort of showed that he's just going to keep backing the guys. Confidence. That's right. That's right. Well, he had to shoot twenty times because uh,
1: it, he hate picking on a rookie who, you know, had twelve points, eleven assists, four rebounds, you know, nine rebounds, four steals, and played fifty two minutes and had the ball in his hands a lot. Ben Simmons, but he he just play, he felt like a rookie mm. in this
0: game. I so was he was invisible. He's yeah, oh, he's just, he was invisible. Yeah, invisible.
1: He he's he is terrified. He's no longer ineffective at shooting jumpers. He's he is terrified. Like it, he's on. He's like Andre Roberson will come to him later, terrified of putting the ball up. So he's
0: well. He's not only he, that does the interrupt you, but he no, is sir. um also terrified of getting fouled because he's not shooting well since that Washington game. Yeah, where they got it. They did the hacker Simmons. Uh, yeah, he's he's not even being aggressive, guaranteed. He's down he to 55,
1: 55, he's under 56% for the season. Yeah. Mm. Shooting fouls. So he's, you know, it's still a point a point per possession, which is better than him shooting jumpers. So you just still don't really want to follow him. Um, but uh, anyway, you're right. So he's, so he was putting uh, Covington in bad spots and Redick, I know had some late, late shot clock chucks that he had to throw up. And so it was just, a really strange shot distribution, I thought, from Philadelphia. You, you know, I'm not the biggest Sarich fan. I thought Sarich was also a bit invisible. So it, for me, well, it was, was almost that was guy a
0: that didn't make sense being out there. I, I thought get Sarich off at some point. Yeah, I'm like, I thought Booker should
1: have got more of a run, mm. just to just do something different, to muscle. Now they like Sarich being able to chase mellow out in the wing. I guess a little bit more, but. Again, when you're your poor man Zilasova, I don't I don't really want you playing 49 minutes in any game, let alone a game that the crowd is just they were dripping with emotion on every sort of mm-hmm. possession. So um so that was for me. So I I saw it was a lot. Of, yeah, there was some hero ball right? Russ doing some hero ball crap that he usually does. Embiid um, talking, which I didn't like. Um, I, I still don't like that. I, don't, I guess if you're a Philly fan, you probably love it, right? It's just some bravado and something to cheer for. But I. I don't think it's a respect. I think he's not quite found, you know, his place in the game yet. And so all the vets are like, "Come on, shut your fucking mouth." till you actually win a big game? And then my other, my little ugly from the game. So great was the, the so good was the, the intensity. Good was the actual, you know, the the, the mano a mano took the game personally. Good was the excitement of it. And there were some big plays and some big shots, don't get me wrong. But then some of the ugly was just the execution, right? Philly in particular, end of OT and end of the triple OT when they had a, you know, Redica shooting a, a shot four feet, five feet behind the three-point line. And as you hinted at that, when and Adams went out, Pat Patterson had actually had a nice closeout and blocked that shot. Basically, that ended the game.
0: Yep.
1: So, um, yeah, look, there was some, but I guess that's to be again i hate criticizing a team who's run by a rookie like ben simmons but you can see that there's just the execution on both sides of those teams it's a recurring theme with russell westbrook over the years and it's 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 something that philly's going to have to contend with and i don't know how they're going to i don't know how they're going to do that right it's going to probably take a couple years for simmons to figure this out but their execution out of timeouts out of out of sets in crunch time just isn't great hmm. So,
0: but awesome Ooh. game. I don't want to take away. It was do awesome. Do you remember who hit the winning shot? Was it Roberson on it that? Was, reverse? It was Roberson. I've never seen a guy more scared to try and shoot a layup in my entire life. Well, do you remember the one in double over time? That's why yeah, he missed. He it. Yeah. So for
1: the for, for listeners, if you didn't see the game, this it was classic. I think it was. Is so it first or second overtime? I, was that. I, was it I was think it second overtime. Yeah. And OK, there was like 10 seconds left. And OKC's kind of got, they had a stop and they're in transition. And the game is tied. Or I think it's 106, 106, something like that. And it's like a three on two. And OKC just, this beautiful pass from, you know, from, uh, from Roberson back to Russ. And Russ, instead of taking the whole, right back to Roberson for a wide open layup. And he literally missed a wide open layup uncontested under the basket and that sent it to triple overtime and he was borderline inconsolable on the bench like he's crying like a toddler who'd got his toy taken away like he's like the guy who's afraid of shooting anyway and let's just say Russell Westbrook not exactly, you know, uh, an emotional, <laughs> you know, the emotionally intelligent leader to go oh good try man you know it was the stare of death you stole a fucking assist from me <laughs> you know that was the look he got. Well,
0: to be fair, Rusk went back to him for the game winner. He did, he did, he did. Which, so, him, which he, made. I, mean, I think he got fouled on that one too. If we we're being very fair to him, um, he seemed he seemed to get fouled, although he certainly should have made the shot. It was more that he didn't want to take the shot. He wanted no part of that shot. Oh, he's, his heart was beating out of his chest. Yes, you could feel it. We all could feel his heart
1: beating out of his chest. It was, that, it was a nervous moment, but. Uh, Anyway, entertaining game, and some OKC is clawing out just enough Ws to stick around the 8-9
0: spot there. So, um,
1: yeah, that was a big one for them.
0: I'll tell you a guy, too, that's, and, and we'll move on to this next game that was also on the same day, but the guy that's um, been a sneaky under-the-radar signing this year has been Cephalosia at uh, Utah. He's actually playing quite good. Now, every time I see him, I think, why did OKC get rid of this guy? I mean, would you rather have him... Just for this uh, than Roberson. I mean, Roberson obviously a better defender, but Cephalosa can shoot the ball.
1: I put Cephalosa in that category of like the Trevor Booker and Ish Smith, professional basketball player, right? He's just an absolute pro, knows how to prepare, and he's just ridiculously consistent. So, I guess the question is the contract. What contract did, did Roberson get? He got. Did he get a multi year deal?
0: He did get him out you did...
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, they love him, right? They just – I think the theory is that the way that OKC is going to go about this, right, with Paul George and, and Robertson is to just to try and clamp down um, Clay and Durant um, in the playoffs. So from that perspective, I, I like – I see where you're going. I think Cephalosha fits on more of the unselfish team like Utah as a vet than he does on on OKC, and you almost need the you know this neophyte like Roberson running around when you've got you know three Hall of Famers you know playing you know your turn my turn with the ball. So to be fair, I actually think he, I think Cephalo should be fucking frustrated you know playing for OKC, right? Oh, I just think so it's well.
0: to have someone out there that can hit an open three or any sort of open shot, uh, but still play reasonably good defense. He's certainly not on Roberson's level defensively, but he's not that far behind either. Uh, and he's shooting 42% from three. Uh, and Robeson just scared to take, even take a shot at there.
1: I am just gonna pull up my um where did my I lost my basketball reference page. Here it is. Give me two seconds. What's his name? Um McDermott. McDermott. McDermott's a three point shooter, isn't he? That's he a shame they don't yeah. have a they don't have a player <laughs> like that who's shooting um. Just wanna check. Yep, forty one and a half percent from three from three this year, right? Now look, he doesn't get the volume that he probably should, but uh I is uh, what I was going through my head, Daz. When you're talking about Cephalosia needing to hit an open bucket, I go, "Is it too early to be asking if the Mellow trade was a bad idea?
0: Is it too early to be asking that?" I think it's it's not a, not only is it not too early to ask it, I don't think it's too early to answer it. I think it is a bad idea. I you think reckon they're, they're a better team with Cantor and McDermott, even though Cantor can't play in certain matchups uh Cantor, you know, they, they were unbeatable on the boards in certain matchups last year um, when you had Cantor and Adams out there. And then you saw Adams when Adams got in the foul trouble. Uh, they're, struggling, they're actually struggling to get rebounds then. So I think Cantor's a much better fit. And Melo's just he's at a different point in his career at this point. Um, and and not, a, not a great fit for this team. I think, it, you know, you, you can't have three... Really, uh, well, three star players out there when you've got Westbrook, who is just so dominant with the ball in his own right.
1: Yeah, you mean a thirty-three year old, you know, power forward who doesn't rebound or defend and can't and shoots mid-range jumpers inefficiently? Isn't is isn't that a perfect fit for a Russell Westbrook team? So yes, I, I'm with you, um, and I, I, you know. If you want to win a championship, you see these in, in, trying to get seating in home court, and the the second unit's like in my sort of love affair with Toronto's second unit. Um, you you miss those games where Cantor goes for 17 and 11 in in 15 minutes, and Russ is on the bench for you know for eight of those 15 minutes or ten of those 15 minutes when uh, you know bag of donuts Ray Felton. You know, it was running the offense or whomever. It doesn't matter. Hmm. And Cantor's just banging and putting second, check it, second chance points up and demoralizing the other team because he's, a,
0: he's quite good under the basket. So I think it's so interesting yeah, I, that they're a better matchup against the Warriors with, with Melo. Uh, for what what it's worth, I don't think they'll beat the Warriors, but they, they did beat the Warriors comfortably. I think Melo's a better player for that because Cantor can't really be on the court when they're playing the Warriors. True, but then you go and look at other matchups within the Western Conference. Certainly with the Spurs, um, oh, Memphis is probably a little bit irrelevant nowadays. But moving Minnesota in terms like that, I think Cantor's a much better matchup there because that's a guy that you know, they, those teams are not going to hurt you as much for having Cantor on the court. Yeah, probably true. Look,
1: the worry is that Melo's one, two, three, this is the fourth year in a row his field percentages drop. He was 45.5% in 14, 44.5% in 15, 43.5% in 16, a tick down a third last year, and he's down to 40%. So one, two, four years in a row his um, percentages drop. He's shooting his career average. Which is not that great, 34.5% from three-point land. Well, he's um, taking more
0: throughs this year than he has since 2013, but only hitting, not even hitting 35%. So that's yeah, that's he's below the what average.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, and even little things like little things, his free throw percentages. He's 81.5 for his career shooting. It's not a big deal, but it's a point here and there. Well, he's, he's also you know, shoot-
0: he, just, sorry to interrupt <clears> the game, <throat> <end, throat> but. Throat> 2013, he shot 7.6 free throws a game. This year, he's shooting 3.4 free throws a game.
1: Yeah, he doesn't. That's it. That's exactly where I was going next. His percentage is down, and his volume is way down. Even last year, shooting five last year, right? And now that's one and a half. You know, it's one and a half attempts. That's a point a game, and it's a. It sounds like a tiny thing, but that means that there's two or three possessions that that he ends with that doesn't end in a, in a foul call, which means he's probably turned it over or or miss some mid range shot and he's just settling and he just can't get to the hoop anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, uh, I still am going to say it's too early because I leave open the chance where he, he also could win an enormous game, but it has been a precipitous drop. And uh, I'm going to leave some of this open though. Right. I feel it's a little, only a little too early in that I don't have a ton of faith in Donovan, but you know, maybe it's still 28, 29 games in maybe, after 50 games, it definitely won't be too early to say if they've found something that works for Melo, but um, uh, worrying so- still those, these worry signs, a beautiful victory, or not a beautiful, a well-earned triple overtime victory in an entertaining game against Philly, but still sim- same symptoms, right? same, same symptoms of that that we've seen for the whole season.
0: Well, we saw another really good game on the same day. It was Utah going to Boston? And we always seem to find ways that, to get the Jazz in there uh, each week. But uh, they're just they're playing some entertaining basketball. And this one was a shocker because two minutes into the game, they lose Rudy Gobert, which looked like a shocking injury. Uh, Thankfully, he's only going to be out a month, but he keeps sort of having these sort of recurring issues. And then uh, Derek Favors goes out as well in this game. Uh, He copped a hit to the face and also lacerated on his leg as well, so he wasn't doing real well. So lose their two big men, and they sort of went to this small ball lineup. They were playing Cephalosia at centre at one point. That's Sorry, they were playing Jurebko at centre and and, um, Cephalosia at the four for big men in this game. And they built a 16-point lead against Boston. And Boston, the fans, you could just sort of sense they thought, oh, we're coming back, we're going to win this at any point. And Donovan Mitchell wasn't shooting well. I think he was he was 3 of 13 from the field going into the last quarter. He still had seven assists, so he was finding a way to contribute. And then he just took over the game late Does yet again. Hit two massive threes and just silenced the crowd and it's not often a rookie's going to go into Boston. And Boston were coming back. Boston had got the, got the lead down to single figures. It was down to around seven. And you think, okay, here they go. You know, Utah's going to struggle to score. they were sort of, Rubio kept them afloat offensively. That's how bad a night they were having all around. And then Mitchell just sort of said, I've got this. And you just went, oh. And he certainly did two, two big threes. One right in Horford's face, which was a really difficult shot. And just shooting him with confidence. yet again. And then they end up getting a quite a comfortable victory, uh, in Boston. Look, I, we they keep coming up, don't they? The <clears throat> the Jazz and the Celtics probably
1: should when their record's what twenty four or twenty five and seven, whatever it is now. But it's just these amazingly coached teams, right? Quinn Snyder and, and Brad Stevens, the two um you know, two pretty boys who come from the college ranks who just just to coach fucking smart basketball, and it's not like the Celtics played awful, right? They only had eight turnovers the entire game, mm. right against that Jazz defense. But this this was all about the Jazz. You're right. Gobert goes down in a Austin Rivers Jr. where Derek Favors just sort of slumps. Now, very unlike Austin Rivers, this looked kind of out of Favors' control. I think they were fighting for a loose ball, and he he fell backwards. And there was I don't think there's anything Favors could have done to changes trajectory but that's always a horrible thing when you see a guy land on the side of his knee mm. so favors a giant man lands on the side of Goldberg's knee and i think i think the planet thought that's a fucking acl snap it looked like it so thank god it was just a strain but and then favors himself got jalen brown just uh, sort of like how jalen plays is just swinging his elbows all the way to the hoops of jalen's going to the basket and his Elbows are everywhere, and Gashed favors something opened up his eye, and he didn't come back, did he? He had a massive cut, mm. l- like a Tyson cut over his head. So you thought, Gobert's done. Favors as favors. Gobert plays two minutes. Favors plays ten minutes, and then what's it happen? Jonas Jerebko, right, draining threes all over the court, getting offensive rebounds. Ekpe freaking Udo. He played meaningful, meaningful minutes, and and but for for me that those that's interesting and that's good but the Utah Jazz are a totally different team when Rodney Hood decides to play mm-hmm. and Rodney Hood decided to play this day and he he drained a bunch of threes and was generally competent all over the court and he just he looks like a fucking nba player just you wish you'd get someone's brain implanted so it was just nice to see the jazz you know just brilliantly coached team having their you know basically their second unit play massive starter minutes for the whole game and Hold off a full-strength Celtics team. Who just uh, Kyrie was. Kyrie was Kyrie. He played brilliantly. Um, Tatum was a rookie, though. I saw Tatum. He talk about disappearance. I saw a little couple of worrying signs. I thought maybe this is the rookie. It's one of those games where his rotations were bad. His help was bad. His help was, help was lazy. He passed up some open shots. He just he looked out of sorts. I don't know if he has the flu or. Oh, I, don't I think there's
0: to... there's a lot of hype in Boston at the moment around Tatum and I hope he's not reading some of the, the stuff that's been written about him. Um because and I and I think there there's inevitably they're going to hit the rookie wall as well at some point. I think it's yeah. early in the season to maybe be talking about that. But but maybe, you know, there there might be some uh, some sort of believing his own hype and things like that and, and thinking that it's a bit too easy. Um, and when you're shooting 50% as a rookie, uh, you're probably entitled to think that everything's a little bit easy. So um, maybe he's coming back to reality a little bit, Jason uh, Tatum.
1: He's had three or four rough games here this week. You've got trucked in Detroit. He was awful against the Bulls, couldn't throw it in the ocean, played a couple of good minutes against a, a completely useless Denver team and then awful against utah again so he's just sort of yeah maybe it's a bit rookie but he he looked like a weakness as i guess that was my point where he's gone you know he he looked like something to be exposed mm-hmm. so um the joe johnsons and, and donovan mitchell and even rodney hood were kind of taking advantage of 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 tatum's sort of deficiencies and he didn't play much i mean stevens had to go away from him so semi ogile got a 20 minute run marcus smart played a ton of minutes so um, he, he, it was just one of those days where Tatum didn't have it and just had, had nothing. Mm. So um, anyway, very, very well-played game. Good on Utah for holding him off. And the unlikely heroes are Rubio nailed a huge three late in the fourth. And just as you said, he's going to be a storyline for for a long time. Mitchell was silent. You know, he had, he had Marcus Smart and didn't do much. And then he had three possessions and about a six-possession stint. I think you already said he hit two threes late in the fourth, mm-hmm. and then after he hit that second three, he drew the defense out, sliced it into the lane, hits this beautiful pull-up jumper that pretty much iced the game after Boston cut it down to six. Mm. So um, just watching Donovan Mitchell play closer, that's pretty cool, to watch a rookie on the road in a in a venue like the Garden close it out. So mm.
0: kudos kudos to your Jazz for um, playing some ridiculously smart and efficient basketball. Well, some, some interesting questions for them. I mean, that's probably something that could... – kick down the track, but a dirty little secret for them is they've actually played better when Gobert's been out this year, and it's pretty clear that they can't play Gobert and Favors together, so there's some decisions, I think, from a roster construction point of view for them to make, uh, probably not until the end of the season, but whether they, because this is a franchise that I think that was thinking about building around Rudy Gobert to, to a certain extent. Now they've probably got to ask, Well, where, where does Donovan Mitchell take us and what's our ceiling if, if we build more around him and more around a sort of smaller ball style? And and then what's what's Gobert's um value if you if you look at moving on from him? It's probably a bit early to say that, but the, but there's no doubt they've played better when go in, during the games when Gobert's been injured so far this year than when he's been out there. Yeah, well, I guess
1: it's, give me what we talked about, though, right? We talked about this in the offseason where I was the skeptic where I said, you know, you're kind of pretending you're going to run the offense more through Gobert where he plays more of a, you know, a peak Dwight Howard or a DeAndre Jordan, you know, lots of 1-5 P&R and lots of, you know, rim running and lots of transition and even some post sort of stuff. And I go, but, but then where's your scoring going to come from? Because that's, that's still inefficient basketball, and so that's what's that's just the fact. When he sits, you've got to play someone who's got more of a, a rounded game. And Favors has played pretty well when he's healthy. Mm. Um, it also opens up minutes, like as you were already hinting at, for uh, Ingles to play big minutes and and Rodney Hood when he's available. And dare I say, you know, smaller lineups. But um, you know, chubby Alec Burks has played all right this season, right? Mm. So he shot he's shot in thirty nine yeah. shooting thirty nine percent from three. So I go. Where is the points going to come from? They're going to come from the wings, and so Rudy opens up the floor a little bit. So you're right. I think it's early to be talking about the. He's a year removed from Defensive Player of the Year, if I'm not mistaken. Did he win it? No, I did make a Draymond it? one. It. Draymond one. He finished second, didn't he? Finished he? Second. Yeah. yeah. He finished second. So I think it's a bit early. Um, but you're right. Gosh, you have to. You have to not, You have to call it out. You do have to acknowledge it, mm. and um. Yeah, something to watch for sure something to watch yeah. but uh boy if we're um if we take a look at we'll do this i think maybe next week or certainly before maybe on the break start looking at their early sort of playoff picture and you know hey joe johnson's back as well right and hmm. joe johnson's bang plays 30 minutes against um you know against cleveland and you know, they lost a tough game in cleveland uh, was that today yeah they've sure. got
0: a ridiculously tough schedule in december Uh, They they play the Rockets twice more in December. They play OKC again. Oh, sorry, they play the Rockets once more. They'd already played them once. Uh, They play OKC again. Uh, Yeah, they've gone Houston, Milwaukee, Milwaukee. Chicago, Boston, Cleveland, Houston. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a really tough sledding in in December. So they're going to fall back a little bit, but... The schedule does get easier for them, so I still expect they're going to be at the bottom end of the the Western Conference playoffs, uh, not as high as I had them originally in the season. But obviously, there's been some injury issues there as well. Uh, yep. But I, I I notice I'm a bit offended though, Daz, that you say that going into the post is inefficient basketball because San Antonio um, won another close game on the weekend. Uh, this time against Dallas, uh, they're actually now twenty and eight without Kawhi Leonard in the lineup their 0-2 with Kawhi Leonard in the lineup, <laughs> if you can believe that. So it was interesting. They they played Houston on uh, what did they, Saturday. They
1: sit, did they sit Kawhi in the Dallas
0: game? They sat Kawhi for the second yeah. Dallas game, yeah. So okay. they played, uh, and Pop does this occasionally, particularly if the Stars aren't playing well. He'll just sit them, and he'll just say, if you're not going to give me the effort and the intensity I want, I'm going with the second unit. And the Spurs were down 15 at the end of the first quarter. Uh, Pop pretty much spat the dummy with the starters and said you're not coming back. And I think Kawhi didn't play at all in the second half. Uh, Lamarck's only played sporadic minutes. Tony Parker didn't play, and he just went with the backups for the most of the game. And they only they ended up losing by 15. So basically, the backups kept the team afloat, um, and it was amazing. The crowd were really. It seemed like the crowd and and I was listening to the Houston callers, and and they what some of the biggest homers in the league and they were very pensive because Houston have blown some leads to the Spurs in the last couple of years and the Spurs just kept it round that sort of ten, they kept getting towards the sort of 10 point mark and then the Rockets had hit a few shots and I think had there been any other team you would have thought there's no chance that uh, the Rockets going to blow this but there was just a little bit of nervous energy I think in, in the arena and they were happy to get home in the end but I think the, the, the key thing for that from the Spurs was they're going to be looking at that game now and, and saying to the first team look at how the second team played and that's where Pop will get the video and he'll say look this is what we need to do um, and obviously do it at a higher level using your starters. So I've seen Pop do that many times over the years where you think the Spurs are going to get blown out and then the second team comes in and actually makes it a competitive game. And then the next time you play the same opponents, uh, the first team play a lot better because you've got that sort of video history of how you should play um, against the team. D'Antoni didn't pull these starters until three minutes to go in the game. So it was a game that was looking at stage, they are up by 28, the Rockets. It was looking like it was all over. Um, they actually had to not sweat it out. It's probably putting too fine a point on it, but it was a closer game. Well, they
1: went on a, it was like a 13-0 run, 15-0, something like that. It were They got it back, yeah. Two. I think yeah. they got
0: it back to 13, and then you were yeah. like, okay, you can actually see a pathway. The victory for the Spurs, the way it was going, they were playing really good. DeJounte Murray played excellent. Uh, Brandon Paul came out, and Brandon Paul actually hit, Harden with a hard foul and that sort of turned the game because then Harden just hit two three straight in his face and that was the end of the game but um and you know Brandon Paul hit some shots which it wouldn't normally he's not been a great three point shooter so far this year Bryn Forbes continues to play well um the Spurs, I think he, he could very well be a contributor in the plus. I think we're going to see more of Brandon Paul against the Rockets too if, if that matchup materialises come playoff time because uh, that guy's just a bulldog and I think if they need a, um, another defender at the point of attack, particularly for Chris Paul because he killed them in that game. Um, Tony Parker's just not able to defend at uh, good no. enough level uh, to play against really Houston or Golden State at this point so I think you're going to see his minutes go down but I wouldn't be at all surprised see uh, Brandon Paul come in, maybe even Kyle Anderson might play some minutes and, and they're basically using him like a point guard as well as Kawhi uh, for some, some minutes out there so I'm, I'm I'm interested to see the Spurs I guess from the point of view of what lineups is Pop using out there because they're in an interesting position Des, because we're what are we, 30 games into the season or thereabouts, they're pretty much locked into the three seed because they're not going to catch Golden State or Houston. And I can't see Minnesota, Denver or OKC catching them because they're already about five games clear of the teams behind them and they're five games behind the teams in front of them. So it's now just a matter for Pop to sort of look at it and say, well, what are we going to do? Uh, or what lineups are going to work and and I guess look forward and obviously they're looking at at the Warriors and and Rockets and seeing uh, who they need to beat there. And and I saw it again against Dallas. I mean, there was some funky lineups that Pop was putting out there then and I thought they're just sort of kissing those games away and then they finished the game on a 13-0 run and somehow pulled that one out of the fire. But that was more just an epic collapse from the Mavericks than uh, anything fantastic the Spurs did in that game. Uh, so I think that's going to be something to watch, I guess, uh, from the Spurs' point of view, because as I say, they are in an interesting position that you wouldn't normally be in at this point in the season. Yeah, you would. Not
1: to mention the fact that you or you did mention the fact that their, you know, their best player um, hasn't played yet, basically. So, um, so you say they're locked into a three. You know, I, I, are they more likely to fall to questions? Are they more likely to fall to four? Or rise up to number two, which is more likely?
0: I think they're more likely to fall. Yeah, well, I, I, I think mean, the Houston goes, and Golden State are too deep. Is that that's yeah. more a respect there the G- Golden State and Houston the, yeah. than anything yeah. else? But I just I, I think there's going to be resting players. I think there's going to be different light they, They're going to be managing Kawhi's minutes for. And the, I guess the yeah, you're sure. Future. The teams
1: behind on just who's afraid of the Timberwolves? Nobody. Who's afraid of the Blazers? Nobody. Who's afraid of the Nuggets? Nobody. And then you just don't. The only team you're still afraid of is Oklahoma City. Figuring it out you're not afraid. I mean, the five, well, six, seven. From a
0: regular season point of view, we're five and a half games ahead of the Thunder already. They're not going to catch us. Not in the regular season. I don't want to meet them in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's yeah. that's what's looking. That's what I'm thinking. You're. It's like you almost want the seeding where it's in almost OKC's hands. Will they? Will OKC land in the sixth slot? So you're right. There's no way in Minnesota. Portland or Denver are going to catch San Antonio no chance no. You know, barring catastrophic industry industry injury so it's like whatever whatever luck you need to do to avoid OKC in the first round right and i you just hope OKC ends up in the 4 i guess right well the pelicans we them- are
0: a sneaky bad matchup for the spurs as well we're probably looking too far ahead you but the pelicans absolutely destroyed the spurs and I think a team that can match up with the, the Spurs front court, uh, the Spurs are going to have problems because that's their competitive advantage over yeah. most teams.
1: Well, we'll talk or we won't talk about them. I have watched the Pels again this week, and I'm just the, their brand of ball is just not something I can stomach anymore. But uh, I, f- I don't fear them. No one should fear them in a seven game series. Any given night, no question. Three game series, if such a thing existed, yep. I fear the Pelicans, but over seven games, over seven trials, that that helter skelter, whatever it's called,
0: it's just it's just not going to hold up, not to the brain power of the top three teams in the West. So anyway, well, we do. Quick question without have an Who who would your money be on to get the four seed? Out of you've got Portland, Denver, New Orleans, the Thunder, and the Jazz.
1: I'm still going Thunder, just on pure talent and defensive potential. Yeah, and it's only they're only two games. Two, two-and-a-half behind Minnesota? Yeah, they're two-and-a-half games behind the Wolves, who currently hold a four slot. So I'd still pretty confidently still put my cash on
0: Oklahoma City. What about you? Uh, you think Minnesota can hold it? Give me Portland. Really? I'm more impressed with what they're – I just – I'm not a believer in OKC uh, from what I'm seeing um, at the moment. I've, I've seen a few games of Portland. I think they're playing, they're playing pretty good basketball. Um I love them in early <laughs> November.
1: I love them with, with um Nurkic, but he's been he's been out, hasn't he? Is he back yet? Is Nurkic back? He's back now, yeah. He did play. I'm he sure. played against the, the Hornets. He's just back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They've been destroying look, the East too for whatever reason, Portland. Look, that that changes that team entirely, to be fair. I, I thought Nurkic was out, but that's that does make them did they flipped? they flipped the switch, didn't they? They're like seventh or sixth defensively.
0: They're playing um, good defense, and I mean McCollum yeah. is is pl- taking another step. Um, I think in his development, and he's changed his game a little bit too, um, where he's taking more threes now. So, and I love we love Lillard's game, um, and even they've sort of found ways to get Evan Turner involved where he just doesn't totally stink. Um, it's just such a shame they they blew the draft the way they did with such a good rookie class. Because Zach Collins, I was looking at his stats. He might be the worst player in the NBA that's getting significant minutes.
1: He's not an NBA player. I just he doesn't look it.
0: He doesn't.
1: I just look can't believe. just can't believe these things when they happen, can you? When Travion Graham over in Charlotte is horrible as they are, yeah, it looks like a player. And that being said, um, Charlotte's giving run to Johnny O'Brien the third and Michael Carter Williams two, two. <laughs> Two outcasts from the '67 lost Bucks from three years ago are playing minutes on the frickin' 2017-18 Charlotte Hornets. So, uh, anyway, I digress. Yeah, um, let's not. I'm not going to watch the the Pelicans. I'm not going to watch the Hornets. I do like the Blazers. I love them, and and they showed some awesome signs in November. And I think maybe with Nurkic we'll see. And if Amino could find some, if he could find some consistency, I think that's the key to that team. He can find some upside. He's shooting the ball. He lights out from three-point land. If he could find some more touches and just find the confidence to get some more, you know, to, to get some more takes. And, you know, it's a bit on stats to change the style of CJ and Dame as well to get him more involved. So Minou, I think, holds uh, kind of the key to their upside in a way.
0: So, um, yeah, well, I think Ed Davis yeah. has been a part of their defense, too. He's really played well. He's solid. Yeah, he's another pro- so, another professional basketball so, player. So. And then there's some continuity there, I think, too, that, that has helped them. Um, and that's probably part of the defense as well, just having the same team that they had pretty much last year. Um, yeah, and now that Nurkic is fully integrated within the team, so I like the Blazers. Look, I don't think they're going to make big noise in the playoffs or anything like that. But uh, if you said to me, put a put a wager on today who gets that four seed, I'm I'm edging them ahead of uh, the Thunder. I'm not a believer in the Nuggets the Pelicans or the Timberwolves. And I actually think the Jazz could even sneak into the sort of six seed ahead of them three teams if we're putting OKC in the five seed. Um, I've seen, the Timberwolves, I've seen them that many times a year and not once have they impressed me. They've not done one thing to impress me, and yet they're sitting there at 17 and 13, so I can't quite work it out. Just, we're gonna, I have to stop talking about them almost like the same...
1: On the same way I've to stop talking about Charlotte and I'm going to stop talking about New Orleans in the ugly category is if you um, if you check out what Andrew Wiggins hasn't been doing this season, um, further evidence to his his downfall or lack of integration or his stymied development or pick your pick the angle by which you want to look at how his game has not changed is uh, dunked on had their um, top 10 players. Mm. Right, their top ten players. I think they. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Listen, if 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 people are into that, really fun. So this is their top ten players who are age twenty three and under. And this their their criteria was basically for not for their career. Like, who would you rather have on your franchise? It wasn't just performance this year. And not surprisingly, Giannis was number one, and then the usual suspects are up there. And there's some debate around was volts on him, volts not, but. You know, it was a lot of the, you know, Giannis and Carl Anthony Towns and Porzingis and, you know, AD had graduated. He's too old now, but players like that at the top, right? And then full of a whole bunch of rookies from this class, right? Um, From Mitchell, even Dennis Smith made the list and, you know, Tatum, Jalen Brown snuck onto one of the lists. And then they do a bit of honorable mention stuff where the Jamal Murrays of the world kind of come up and Devin Booker's come up. And Andrew Wiggins didn't even make the honor, honorable mention list is the point of my story. So they talked probably about 14, 15 players, each Danny and Dunk did, players under age 23. Even Jabari Parker got an honorable mention because of his, again, they, as Dunk says, it's just so unusual to have someone of that size to score so efficiently you know, from the inside and shoot 38% from three. Even Jabari Parker with twice ripped ACLs getting mentioned over... Andrew Wiggins and that's to basically say you know would you rather have this player on your team mm-hmm. further evidence that this his his game has fallen off a cliff and if that's fallen off a cliff and um, Jimmy Butler and Todd Gibson haven't and, and Tibbs haven't taught that team to play defense then what do you have?
0: Well there's a point that the people are making that part of the defensive struggles is that they're just playing so many minutes and they're genuinely tired and I'll be interested to know how much value there is or how much credence there is to that because this is pretty much the only team now that is just slogging their players to this extent where you're playing nearly 40 minutes a night with Butler, Wiggins and Towns. And how much of a mental and physical strain that's putting on them towards the end of the game when you're coming up against players that just are not putting in that, that sort of minutes. So I think there's some questions being asked at the though that There, Now that doesn't excuse what Wiggins is doing. When Wiggins, the other day, and you know I had a rant about this, I've got him on my fantasy team. And he's got, he had 22 points, which that's fine, well done. He had one rebound, zero steals, zero assists, zero blocks, zero fouls. Nothing. Just did not contribute one other thing other than that rebound, And that's just, to me, that's just not good enough for a for a, um, max well, it's, player it's, giving it's, that it's, sort of money. That's
1: right. And it's also pick your metric. His defensive, offensive defensive rating is a minus 11. His vorp is negative, meaning he's not even a valued replacement player. His, beat, you know, buck score plus minus is a minus 2.7, which... You know, means means, you know, estimate number of, you know, points per 100 possessions a player, you know, gets above league average. He's way below league average. Um, defensive box plus minus is way below league average. It's pick, pick your metric, right? His usage has plummeted 24%, which is predictable, I guess, given that team. His field goal percentage is way down. It's like pick your metric. You know, value, uh, counting stats, efficiency stats, it's all down. And that's, that's a worry. That's a real word, guys. Hard to believe he's only twenty-two years
0: old. Um, yeah, but... But the ship's about to sail. I, mean, I and I've been one that said, "Look, yeah, let's look be patient. He's... Let's wait and see." But he's gotten, he's actually gone backwards uh, in the last couple of years. In my view, his game. And that's the worrying thing. There's, you're not seeing development. I mean, even, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about Brandon Ingram. Let's not, well, we won't go down that wormhole again, but there's a guy that's starting to show some signs. I still don't think he's going to be the player they thought they were drafting, but at least you're seeing some improvement. You're not seeing improvement from Andrew Wiggins. If anything, we're seeing regression.
1: You know, I tweeted this to uh, Nate Duncan himself when he, he mentioned that, you know, we didn't even give Anthony... Anthony Wiggins.
0: Oh, here he goes. There it was. <laughs> Well,
1: it's just so stuck uh, in my head. Drink, all right. Uh, That's drink a drinking up a game. Yeah, jeez. He's not even Anthony Wiggins. It's Alan Wiggins. Alan Wiggins. So I got a new, new A. <laughs> the Jesus. Wiggins
0: fan. The Wiggins claim just came A
1: Wiggins. <laughs> and oh my God. They just grow. As I tweeted it out, and I said, you know what his career tra- trajectory is starting to look like? Monte Ellis. The super exciting young player can do everything athletically and get to the basket at will but does absolutely nothing else and he'll only be you know that 25 point per game score on a 30 win team or someone who the you know the top you know the top eight teams in the league just want no part of he's starting to feel a bit bit Monte Ellis in my I
0: think Monte is a better better player <laughs> Monte had Monte... some playmaking Monte actually did do some playmaking. It's, that's. Yes. I think that's harsh on Monte Ellis I've <laughs> this that, year. That's funny, and look. So
1: look at Monte in his yeah third fourth year. He's averaging 20, 25 points a game, between twenty and twenty
0: five. Yeah, and yeah well, Monte I'm, I'm was... trying to think of a player. I'm trying to think of a player that has contributed so little outside of points. And I and I, I can't not not certainly not a player at his level of um of, of contract and I guess, you know, the the hype that has surrounded him isn't number one no pick.
1: Yeah, I'd have to think who someone who just did nothing other than the you know, the the sharpshooter types like the, you know, Corver is never gonna fill a box score. But even he can rebound. Well that's um, you
0: might think of a Dale Ellis or something like that, but even Ellis, you know, used to Jesus. And some and- well, I mean,
1: you, you just—you just literally you've just gone back 25 years to think of a guy, literally, mm. to think of Well, you're right, this, it's, it's pretty rare for right, you to do so little. Well, yeah.
0: I'd, I'd be interested to see, dig back into the stats and see how many players in the history of the NBA have gotten 20-plus points and one other stat. One does. Didn't even commit a foul, right? So he had one other stat in the entire game. Oh that, that's, it was a standing to me.
1: <laughs> it's sort of like the Russell Westbrook not setting picks for Carmelo. <laughs> Would you think by accident he'd run into Carmelo's defender once? It just his body landed into him. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable to because what that says, right?, what, look, go, dig a little bit deeper. What does that say? He's never around the ball. Why is he never around the ball? And I go, "Well, who the fuck is holding on to the ball the whole time? And you go, Jesus! That's that must be because what? Teague actually is playing quite a few minutes, but Teague is a he's Teague's a traditional a
0: terrible point guard, in he's... my opinion. <laughs> he's he's all right on a certain team in the system. Yeah, he's system. All,
1: yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a driving a... dish point guard, right? That's what he is, right? He's mm-hmm. a driving dish, and kind of he's a bit quick and kind of break a defense down and driving dish to some cutters, right? So I go, that's what that's what Teague did is where I was going. Teague's a driving dish guy. He's not a move the ball guy. That would say, hmm, uh, Anthony Alexander Wiggins. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Alfonso Wiggins isn't cutting to the hoop. <laughs> He's not moving without the ball. And it's sticking. And it just sticks to uh it sticks to Jimmy and sticks to Carl Anthony. So that ball
0: ain't moving and he ain't getting it. Well, you got so, black holes everywhere. So as soon as any gets it, it's going up. Butler and and, and Wiggins. So um, I'm and Teague's give these- not, as I said, I, I should point. It, Teague's not a good point guard for this team. I think Teague's a good point guard in other teams, but he's he's not a good fit with this this ball club. No, he's he's just not a great player. So I'm going to do a, my question without notice for
1: you to segue to a, a different topic. I'm just going to play host for 30 seconds. So I was looking at um. So I was looking at sort of unsung heroes uh, of the league, and I was trying to find some stats that would explain it. And not so unsung, more like the sung hero, right? So far in um, in Houston, right, we talk a lot about Chris Paul. He's only played, what, 14, 15 games. What, you know, sort of famously started off with the, whatever, 70 assists and, you know, six turnovers or something like that. Well, he's he's since come, since come back to Earth. He had a particularly horrendous, first half against my my bucks where he had um, zero points missed five shots and committed to five turnovers um, in the first half and again they they won down the wire but so chris paul's fallen back a little bit but the metric i was using for some unsung heroes was assist to turnover ratio so chris paul is falling back to one two three four five six he's falling back to seventh in the league to guys who've who've qualified right he's down to just under four assist to turnover ratio There's two players, two NBA starting point guards who – there's three backups that are doing it, but there's two starters who are averaging more, right, more than four, four four-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. Can you name those two point guards? And I guess one team is a bit shit, but one team is on one of these unsung hero teams. So this is the guy I wanted to talk about. So two starters averaging more than four assist-to-turnover.
0: I would Have no clue. Well, uh, yeah, I, I'd need a few, I'd need more hints. I mean, is it, it's not the Spurs because the Spurs, I don't think, have anyone. Oh, it's um, it's Eastern Conference, right? Oh, okay, so we're talking Eastern Conference, and it's, it's not started, Dar- right? Darren it's not, Collison.
1: Darren Collison, that's the guy I was gonna say. He's at averaging 31 minutes a game, right? So, this is a Teague's old team, and he's yeah. over at the four, he's at four and a half or sorry, 4.05 assist to turnover ratio, playing big minutes on a team who's right, suddenly found another Westbrook-like player. He's Westbrook-like. This, Oladipo's Westbrook-like, right? Yeah, he is. Inside, outside, break it down, ball on his hand, high usage, and Collison's found a way to make that work, right? Um, super, super efficient when he's got the ball, and so it moves. The other one, so I wanted, I was going to segue to the Pacers a bit. I watched them again this week. Uh, just to close out the, the, the question without notice, number one in the league is little Spencer Dinwiddie. Four point eight nine on um, a little bit less usage, right? He's only twenty seven minutes a game, a little bit less usage, but four point eight nine is sister turnover ratio in that sort of wide open style that the um that yeah, the we Nets...
0: talked about him last week, so he's having a he's having a good season. Yeah, yeah. So um he's gonna get paid at some point.
1: Yeah, so I was I was trying to figure I sort of stumbled across it looking at what's made the pacers so effective this year and a you know Nate McMillan just looks like the Someone's inhabited his body. It's not Nate McMillan coaching this team. And you go, what's actually making them tick? And it's obviously Depot's ascension. But and then very, very, very quietly, right? Darren Collison's had a very effective season, very effective sort of point guard. When again, but in contrast to what say, right? New Orleans Pelicans do not have, or what the Timberwolves do not have, and and so good on the Pacers, right, for um for finding the right sort of fit for this team.
0: Well, he's shooting 40% from three as well. So he's, and shooting the ball, right? That helps. shooting though. the ball well. And uh, I'm just looking, he's taking over three again. That's the most he's taken for a number of years. He was back in Sacramento yeah. in his first year in Sacramento. So this guy's bounced around the league. But every time you see him, I mean, even, you know... Um, he's a survivor, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's his second stint in Indiana, actually, which I didn't even realize. Um, he's just been one of those forgotten guys that yeah. always seems to pop up. Um, at different places, uh, but in, in the NBA. But he's having a really good season um, this year. He's only age thirty as well, so he he might have a few more seasons left in him yet. Um, he's still he's springing, yes. Eh? He he's still quick. And so that was my uh, that was my uh, kind of rounding
1: up the good for me this week. Was the I watched some more Pacers, and um, there's a really fun. You can Google the or Google or go to NBA TV. Lance Stevenson throws like this from his hip flick. One-handed alley oop pass to and Oladipo who goes way above the rim, to to dunk it. And it didn't get nearly enough, you know, sort of run on Twitterverse or in the highlight reels. But um, that's turned into an officially fun team to watch play. I can't I can't fucking believe it. But the paces are officially fun to watch. Oh,
0: that's been my shock of the season. If you ever said to me, yeah. who's the team you're the teams I'm really in- excited to watch?" Actually, yeah, Utah and Indiana, and I'm just like. Uh, you, you, there's no way. I mean, I was high on Utah in terms of where I thought they'd finish for a seeding, but I didn't think they'd be a fun team to watch. They're a legit no. fun team to watch, and so are the Pacers. And it's just it's shocking to me.
1: Yeah, that's
0: they're a genuine league pass team. I uh, know. I'm actually checking out who's all the
1: got this week. So, uh, mm. so let's let's do a quickie. Who are your uh, forget Houston? Right? Who are your who's the other sneaky fun league pass team at the moment?
0: Standings: The Bulls. <laughs> hey, did you check out their schedule? They won five I, look, games straight.
1: Well, they didn't just win five straight. They have won five straight, but in this week, they beat the Jazz, the Celtics, and the Bucks—like three genuinely tough teams, right? That's, so they're not beating, you know, the Nets and the Hawks and and the Kings. They won some games. They frustrated the fuck out of the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, couldn't believe it.
0: Uh, the Knicks at home actually have been a good watch this year because they're 14-5 at home and it was good. And we touched on it earlier in the season. The good team. catch. Good to see That's that the catch. Knicks are, are back um, and, and Madison Square Garden's are placed, to, you know, the Mecca, not quite yeah. the Mecca again, but, you know, you just sort still. of get that history of, of great games. I mean, the LeBron, I still think the Cavs-Knicks game was the best game I've seen this year, that that performance from LeBron was, yeah. uh, was pretty outstanding. Yeah. Um, uh, probably to touch on the Trailblazers, again, I've been enjoying what I'm seeing from Trailblazers recently as well. If you want to go to the Western Conference team, um, and just I could just watch Sir McCollum. I just love what love what he's doing at the moment um, off the ball and everything with the with the Trailblazers. So they're a team I'm also enjoying watching. But my my sort of three are. The Pacers and Jazz, I like the Sixers as well. They're generally playing some entertaining games, even if it's, it's frustrating at times, the lack of execution. Um, the Knicks at home and the Trailblazers. But who who would it be for you?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I had my little r- romance with the Cavs today. I, you know, as, as good as they are, I don't really watch. I watch a lot of them early when they sucked for some reason, just happenstance. But they've been playing some fun basketball. Um, uh, who else have I secretly liked um no (laughs) the number surprise again we've talked about this last week the west has so the west has really disappointed me right i thought i was going to watch 15 or 20 timberwolves games this year i'm already ready for that that full body dry heave to check out i like portland denver frustrates me to hell that that low iq half i'll never forgive them for the pelicans i just cannot watch that that chaos um that 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 they play because anyone can initiate the offense just nothing structured it's just loosey goosey street ball um okc is oh, just i like watching okc in the first half and then stop <laughs> watching old, yeah and that's good all the fun players and the clippers are hurt the lakers are awful the suns are worse than awful and then we don't even talk about the other teams so sadly right it's a and I, I was going to take a step back the league from a league pass perspective, I thought there was going to be, you know, full three or four games every night, Daz, and we can't miss. And we've had, let's be honest, right, we've had days where we were chatting offline going, oh, is there anything to watch today? Oh, you know, the Wizards are a bit gimpy and, mm. oh, God, do I watch Andrew Wiggins suck again? And, oh, geez, Spurs, Mavs,
0: don't put me through it. And, oh, God, you know. Spurs, Mavs was a good one. But, no. Um, I do what I'm I, saying, though, right? It's injuries the, has played a part, too. I mean, the have, fact that you've got no Kawhi, do. no Gordon Hayward. Um, you know, there's, there's no was I Thomas still, so they ha that has sort of played a part um, in it as well.
1: If you get the, if you get the advance notice that the real Milwaukee Bucks show up, they're really fun. Like Giannis is really fun. Mm. Their big three are really fun. In that game against Houston, you know, some of the ticky tack refs aside, that was a feisty, and Houston was in very, very engaged. So that was a feisty sort of game. So maybe it's the Pacers, Cavs. Who was your other one? Yeah, the Jazz are kind of fun, aren't they? The, the, the Jazz and the Knicks at home. And the Knicks at
0: home. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So last thing I want to talk about Dad, is because I sort of just gone through our spreadsheet, we we touched on most of the bad sort of things that we wanted to talk about. This is an ugly thing. This is what I wanted to sort of talk to you about um, to finish on. And we just you just touched on, and then you said they're worse than awful. Well, I, I do. I, I think they're the worst franchise in the league at the moment. That's the Phoenix Suns. What is it? Mm. I mean. And, I guess the big question is how the best way to develop players and whatever they're doing in Phoenix, they, they seem to me to be doing it wrong because I'm not seeing much development, if anything, from that team. And they've, they've amazingly won 10 games, but an interesting stat that came out of that when um, uh, Nate Duncan again was doing a, a, some analysis on the Phoenix Suns and he said their opponents are shooting uh, the worst percentage in the league from three, so there's been a little bit of luck to their ten and twenty-one record that they've put up at the moment, uh, and what I'm seeing from them is how hey, you look at Marquez Chris. He's shown me some signs at times, but he turns up this year out of shape. Doesn't look like an NBA player to me. What I've seen of him this year, Josh Jackson. I was high on Josh Jackson coming into the season. He looks lost out there, um, and his his stats are absolutely terrible. They're sort of Zach Collins like. That's how bad you're talking about with his stats. Dragon Bender doesn't look look like he's developing at all. Uh, Alex Len hasn't sort of shown much. Not that we're expecting major things from him. Devin Booker looks like an offense only player to me, even though the sort of the, the upside is real. Um, but I mean, what do you, have you sort of seen much of them? Um, and just to touch on Josh Jackson, I just got his stats up now. He's shooting 20% from three, um, only 40% from two, 56% at the line not really showing what you'd hope for at the defensive end either, just not, not really seeing anything from Josh Jackson to make us think that he's going to turn into some sort of star in the league. But I, I think Phoenix just doesn't seem, for whatever reason, to be a place that's able to develop players at the moment.
1: Yeah, this, this goes. We've talked about this several times within the mysticism that surrounds what goes into player development and just you know, the unpredictability of humans and our rationality and our frailty (laughs) right so uh, to what extent is it the talent themselves to what extent is their developmental techniques to what extent is it the opportunities they receive to what extent then is it a you know the culture and you know the standards of performance and those sorts of things that that surround it to what extent is it you know personal motivation and work ethic and those and, and, and those sort of factors and i i'm not nearly close enough to the game to 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 I guess, judge that per se. I, I, what I would sort of observe is that it's not any accident that the, uh, the player with the highest PER on their team is Greg Monroe, Mm. right? That will not surprise you where he uh, is the consummate professional at his stage in his career, knows exactly who he is and how he should play and does exactly what he needs to do. Right. And it's by a mile, Like, the next closest PER player on the team is Booker. That's mostly because he just scores points, right? And he shoots the ball really well. So part of it is they're still extremely young. Like, you forget these guys are 20, Daz, right? Like, Josh Jackson's 20, and Dragons Bender is 20, and Chris is 20. So these are college sophomores and college juniors traditionally. So they're still extremely young. And we shouldn't use Giannis as a benchmark for what 22- and 23-year-old players should look like. So they're extremely young and don't know where to be and how to be. Um, Then there's the, you're right, there's no question, Uh, Marquise Chris, right, showed up out of shape, and he's just not going to play himself back into shape. He's been absolutely terrible this season. Um, Heavy, playing below the rim. Horrible on defense, and that for me is just a taking a half step back, is that the success of this team is going to be, yep, Booker's going to be fine. They'll find enough point guard depth to run it, but the entire success of this franchise as it's designed, with well, now that they've sold off all their meaningful parts with Bledsoe, is, is banking on Chris and Bender effectively, hmm. right? That's the success of this franchise is those two dudes. If they don't develop anything more into what they're at, they're in... <laughs> They're in for a long, long series of ping pong balls.
0: So well, here's what I've heard about them: is this is a group of kids, and to your point, they are kids still. That are just happy to be in the NBA, and they don't and and winning or losing, they just don't really care that much about um, at the moment. And th- there's no real leadership there. I mean, Greg Monroe's not there long term. I guess Tyson Chandler's trying to do his best. They've got a coach that's probably not going to be around next year, so why are they going to listen too much to what he's he's doing? He's really just a placeholder and it's just you know to have a lost season when you're trying to develop these players um and it just doesn't seem to do the direction them I mean, at least with the Philly point of view, there was some sort of direction um of what what they were trying to do it just I don't sense that the same thing's happening there in Phoenix. Um, and I'm, I'm worried about where this franchise Are they still going to be in as bad a position in, in five years' time? Probably.
1: Probably is a short answer. Mm. I think Devin Booker is a one-dimensional player. Talk about the next Monte Ellis. Maybe he's the Monte Ellis more equivalent. Um, but you just don't expect him to fill the box score the way you'd expect someone to the athleticism of Wiggins. Mm. But um, he's probably a lot of empty calories. No, there's no question about it. And... Yeah, it's how do you unpick culture and leadership of the front office and the coaching staff and what the ownership expects and how much he invests and the mentality that goes into the team around the success of acquiring and integrating free agents and
0: all sorts of things that go into it. Well, the same Where thing it's... was this was a team that was one of the in the upper echelon of the NBA not that long ago in terms of its culture yeah. And in terms of what, the way they went about things. I mean, their medical staff and, and the front office, what we're respecting. We obviously, Steve Nash and and Gentry yep. sort of drove a lot of that themselves um, and, and so even when Steve Kerr was there. Uh, but uh no, I mean, El Hassan was another one uh, that was there. So there's a lot of good guys that went through this. So it's, it's sad to see and... where that franchise is now.
1: The real worry for me is, I guess, that Chris maybe will rebound... I- Uh, He almost feels a bit Larry Sanders-like to me, just so so apathetic Mm. and just so, as you said, I like how you framed it, just so happy to be in the NBA. Um, He doesn't seem like he wants to work. I think Bender wants to work. I just don't know if he has the capability. Um, The big worry for me is if they regret the Josh Jackson pick, right, Or Josh Jackson has been exactly what the analysts have thought he would be, at least early in his career, which is an athlete and with some defensive potential, hmm. right? And that's all he's done, right? He's just potential. He's not attacking the rim. He's not shooting. We know he couldn't shoot, right? Um, he's not really doing anything confidently. Or he, For me, what I've seen, he's not showing the flash. He's not showing the flashes of, wow, there's an NBA skill where – you know, say what you will about Lonzo Ball shooting, he shows an NBA a high intelligence just on pacing and timing and you know movement of the ball. Right? He, he's got that. Tatum, obviously shooting fifty percent from deep, that's not going to sustain, but you know he's showing that skill. Well, yeah, Darius. I mean, Jonathan Isaac
0: on... even has shown shown more signs in Orlando than what uh, what Jackson's shown in food. Frankie
1: Smokes, Laurie Markin, and Dennis Smith. You know, leaving <clears throat> Luke Kennard, and then you know burgeoning rookie of the year candidate donovan mitchell obviously so that for me is the big one was where um they're gonna they're this whole front office is gonna get fired if they don't have an all-star between josh jackson marquise and dragan bender these really high mid to high lottery picks that just keep busting that's that's where this franchise will be so mm-hmm. i think it's a combination of everything to answer your question of developmental technique of culture of the franchise
0: of the state of the coaching staff and of the perhaps the people that they've actually chosen. Yeah. Look, I think going back to the, the decision to just sit Bledsoe and, and shut Bledsoe and Chandler down, that's one that I think they're going to regret for a number of years to come because that, that's a, that, is, that, that sort of sets a culture and sets a, a standard where w- losing is okay and losing is acceptable. And as much as what Philly went through, they never had the attitude that losing is acceptable, even though clearly the moves they made were going to lead to a lot of wins. Internally, it was always like, we're going to go out there and we're going to try and win the games with the team that we have. So to just punt away basically a third of the season and say we're openly just going to lose games for no reason whatsoever, I think that's just, you know, the players that are involved in that, you're starting to sort of reap what you sow from that. Um, and I, again, I worry about the direction of this franchise, and I think that, that was an inexcusable um, decision, which I, I guess at the time, I, I wasn't that as down, and it was what probably in there with the benefit of hindsight, but you're sort of seeing the cultural aspects of that and, what, and how that hurts a team's culture when you make a decision like that. Yeah, we don't have enough time to go
1: through the litany of blunders that they've made with the destruction of the assets, with Isaiah Thomas, with the... The, that's a miracle they got what they got for Drakenbender, and which actually wasn't wasn't a bad return in the end, but just completely alienating him, the complete devaluation of Eric Bledsoe, um, who was a borderline all-star even in the loaded Western Conference for point guards, the giving up the unprotected Lakers pick for Brandon Knight, right um, to the you know to the Sixers. And Brandon Knight was probably, but the Bucks get rid of him. They're like, there's no way we're paying this guy. We think he's the peak of the peak. Mm-hmm. And you know, granted, they picked, they also failed by picking up a Michael Carter Williams. But at least I give the Bucks credit for not paying Brandon Knight four years, seventy-five million or whatever he got. So it's a litany, a litany here. And if they if they swing and the miss on Chris and Jackson, this is a, I mean.
0: Yeah, well, they went back. I read an article that went back to the Shaq signing and all the wrong moves that they made. Yeah. And that's a sort of. And actually, the year that they, they tried to the tank in the first place was when Isaiah Thomas sort of blew up. Actually, no, they signed Isaiah Thomas after that, but that was when um, they had the good year with Dragic, uh, when Dragic was there and yeah. Bledsoe, and they almost made the playoffs. And that sort of in some way set them back because it was like, well, we're not really placed to, to be where we're at. And then they tried to, to build on that and sort of blew it from there. So, but anyway, look, sad, sad times and ugly times in Phoenix, but uh, we, we certainly hope they bounce back um, and prove us wrong in the future. So we might leave it there for tonight, Daz, unless you had something pertinent you wanted to bring up, but um, I'm happy to leave it there and we can, we can touch base again, maybe while you're in the States uh, in the new year. Yeah, we'll see if we can sneak one in next
1: week. Maybe before I go, we'll see how we go. But I think we've got a really. I was just having a quick look at the schedule whilst we um whilst you put the the nail in the coffin to the the Suns and as we went on banging about how disinteresting the NBA schedule has been, check out tomorrow where you've got um, actually quite an interesting slate. Uh, Boston at Indiana should be an entertaining basketball game. You um, got Jazz at Houston if the Jazz are full strength and locked in and motivated. Maybe they give a fight. They got Blazers at Minnesota, sort of fighting for relevance, and then Denver at Oklahoma City mm. should be interesting. So really interesting study of games tomorrow, and then uh, you know I guess in the East you got Cleveland, Milwaukee to see if they can Cleveland can shove the Bucks' miseries down further into the conference schedule. And any other marquee matchups this week? I was doing a quick scan. Geez, I think that's the highlight. Nick's Pistons has a chance to be entertaining later in the week. Um, Golden yeah. State gets to feast on some garbage teams this week. They get to get healthy. OKC okay, so Utah could be a rock fight. Um,
0: yeah, gosh, the Rockets had. I'm sure the Rockets had another matchup at some point in the week. Sixers at Toronto on Saturday. That could be fun. Yeah, I'd say that will be fun. I'll try our Blazers at Spurs. That might be an interesting one. That's true well. too, yes. A couple That's Blazers Spurs, games like... this week, so Yeah. yeah. I'm tr- tr- trying to find the Ducks a... Cavs, I think, on Wednesday.
1: That'll be a good game, hopefully. The Giannis usually gets up for that. Mm. Um I was trying to find a reason to watch the um to watch the uh Nets. I thought I should give them a look. They played some maybe there's a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky good. Uh, League pass game there with the Kings at the Nets. Could be a couple of uh, young, fun teams if if they got their – you might want to watch – well, you can watch that before you watch San Antonio, Portland. So you need five hours of basketball. Anyway, Merry Christmas, buddy. Bye. All right, mate. Bye.